the Matt and Brett Love Comics. This is Brett. And this is Matt. Happy Memorial Day week. We'll say Memorial Day week. We're at a uh, wonderful Memorial Day picnic in sunny Prospect Park in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. It's uh, it's weather outside, guys. It's weather. it's weather. Well, the weather outside is weather, <laughs> and your sister's name is Heather. I don't know where else to go with that. No, no only things rhyme with Heather and weather. Nope. Nope. Leather, leather. We have the sound of garbage trucks. Uh, yeah. People of dogs, probably. People. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some probably dogs are hanging out. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a it's been a great weekend. We had a lot of fun. Oof. Summer is in full swing with all uh, the rain. I am excited. Brett is excited, and we are excited because joining us today is very special guest. You heard him on our year in review episode. Uh, he is the producer. He is the boxing arrow in our quiver. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ben Rahib is on the podcast today. What What is a boxing arrow? Well, the boxing arrow is the arrow in, I don't know, like it's the trick arrow in either Hawkeyes. Green Arrow or Hawkeye's uh, quiver that has a boxing glove at the end of it. Oh, okay. Wait, they each they both have one? Probably. Yeah, probably. probably. I mean, that seems like the type of thing, right? If you're an archer character in a superhero but universe, not, you have to have it, trick arrows. You have to have trick arrows. Is it any arrows. trick arrow, or is it specifically a trick arrow with a boxing glove? It is It is a trick arrow with a boxing glove on the Well, that was the specific one that we said you are to us, so... No, I, I, yeah, yeah. Are I'm, you I'm, already I'm, debating how much <laughs> you mean to us? I'm trying to assess what I mean to you. Okay, I, that's I'm fair. I'm not familiar with that term, and I'm trying to figure out what that means. All right. Uh, ben is a Ben is the guy that makes sure that the wheels stay greased, that the show gets up, and that everything runs according to plan. I make the website. You basically. do the things that Brett and I look at each other and go, I don't, I don't know, know how that happens. I don't Magic. know how that happens. Pretty much. Yeah. You you deal with iTunes a lot. Not too much. Yeah. I mean, I set up our, I set up the feed so that it is in a format that iTunes uh, likes. But what podcasts do it wrong? Great question. Now let's get into let's that. Some sh- let's, let's shit get, some talk. Let's wrong. Well, the one thing that I <laughs> that I pride myself no. So like you know, basically any time a podcast switches like oh, their, name their feed or, up or oh, something, yeah. and then instantly like you've listened to all like instantly all one hundred of their back episodes like get re-downloaded yeah. because it's the reason is because usually they they have an identifier on each episode that should never change, but a lot of times like. It's just the link to the. It's just like the address of the audio file, and if they switch it out and they leave, they don't change those. Everything get like as far as iTunes is concerned, it's all new episodes. Yeah, and yes, so I, we haven't. Well, yeah, we haven't. We haven't made a switch yet. But if we do, I will make sure that those identifiers don't change, and so people will not have to re-listen to things they've listened to before. I like it. I like it a lot. And Ben, you are not. You're not necessarily the comic book fan that we are, but what you are a fan of is what we are going to get into today with. <laughs> First podcast is, is slowly turning into this. You are this a Trekkie. Sure. You are a Trekkie big Star Trek fan. Yeah, I've seen the documentary. Oh, great I've seen the documentary yeah. Trekkie, Trekkies. There's like a whole section where they all like differentiate between Trekkers and Trekkie. I don't know if I. I I'm sure there are people that would would not count me as like legit because. I definitely wasn't as much of a fan until uh, technology made it this case that one could just decide to watch all of the original series. Oh boy! Oh, yeah. Well, um, then take us back. Take us back to the origin of your fandom with Star Trek. My origin, I, actually, it was 
Uh, a lot of it had to do with Katie Healy Wurzberg. Yeah, who a, everyone has heard on our Amazing Spider-Man episode last year. Yes. As well as the our Avengers. Spider-Man Origins episode and yeah. the Avengers episode. I, I don't know if I've actually said this to her. Uh, she, years ago, set up a uh, a Tumblr just where she was putting up pictures of movie characters and then with her friends' names under yeah. them. And she put up for mine... We are outside. Everybody's outside. <laughs> sorry, if, if sorry. By the way, guys, we are outside today. So if you do hear a lot of background noise, we apologize. We're trying to make but it also, as also, useful as possible. Close you your eyes and imagine you're at a barbecue. Close your eyes right? and imagine like, you're at a, a barbecue We're with. A, we are creating a scout. David scale. Bowie That's and true. Imogen. Yeah. Continue. Uh, that was terrible. I apologize. Yes. Yeah, so she she was basically assigning her friends to movie characters, and yeah. so she had labeled me as Spock, and that sort of motivated me to read a little bit more about, in as much as the way of you have described me as a boxing arrow, I <laughs> I went to find out more about Spock and realized, like, hey, like, I, you know, I too have, uh, uh, am not very emotional and have a father who's from a strange place That's and a true. mother who's British. Is Spock's mother British? I don't know. Well, she's a white lady. <laughs> but um, Close but your enough. dad is a Vulcan. <clears throat> no, I mean it doesn't it doesn't fit that well. But yeah. uh, no, but I, I kind of got into it, and then at some point, so that like that sort of set something in motion. Then uh, I happened to start watching like Star Trek reruns uh, were on TV for a short while, and I caught a bunch of those, and then uh, decided to. Watch. I basically, at some point, decided. Well, you know what? What the heck? I should watch. I watched all the original series um, <coughs> through various uh, internet means, and realized actually, like while watching it, like, oh, I'd actually seen a bunch of this. Like, I remembered seeing it, like when I was much younger. Like, there's this one episode where they have these, like, um, these like weird, like amiga, uh, amoeba, like blob creatures that are, like, stuck to walls and things. They look like terribly fake plastic-looking things. Awesome. Yeah. And I, like, I, when I saw that episode, I distinctly remember seeing that, like, at my grandparents' house in England many years ago, uh, which was which was cool. So, yeah, anyway, so that, that's when I... So it was, it was one of those things... And I used to watch The Next Generation, like, pretty regularly when it was on. It was hard to avoid that. As it was kid. hard to avoid <laughs> yeah. the, the, the next 90s. generation in the 90s because it was syndicated on so many stations. And for good reason. Yeah. I mean, once you get past those first two seasons, I mean, that's just me personally, but once you get that fir- past those first two, like, there's a lot of really rich character development that happens in that series. Do, do you know the reason why that happens after the first two seasons? Is that because Ron Richards gets no, on the writing staff? It was because Ron Richards from pushed. My Fanboy. Oh, I'm sorry. No, not Ron Richards. Uh, Ronald, Ronald D. Moore. Moore. No, it's it's because it's because that's when they elbowed Roddenberry out of the show. Oh, yeah. really? Uh, because yeah. he had a thing. <clears throat> obviously, I wasn't there. I, I was also going But he, he his edict was that there'd be no conflict between members of the crew. Yeah. Wow. Uh, because he wanted you know this to be like you know a, a any, harmonious any, future. Exactly. And any sort of any sorts of conflict had to be external. And so it wasn't until he left that they you know. It, that, that they uh, that they were able to do storylines where that uh, yeah where people butted heads more. That seems where like, there were dramatic stakes <clears throat> that seems like there's yeah. that that's a false hope for the future that that is a <coughs> I don't know a hope for the future that I don't think anyone that hopes good things for the future would ever even hope that because uh, I feel like 
conflict is just like a human nature thing. We hope that in the future we don't take conflict to warlike levels. Yeah. But I think we, we, we're not foolish enough to be like, oh, but then no one's going to disagree about anything in the future. No, no. That's I, a that's a. I think that weird. Was, I mean, I, I think that was sort of a case of extreme, extremism. Yeah. Like, and, and I think Roddenberry in some ways was being, was like trying to make, um, you know, just in the context of everything else that was on television, right? Yeah. Like, like going radically in the other direction. So I, I don't think he necessarily was suggesting that in the future no one ever has a problem with anybody, but um, <laughs> just on his uh, show for two. Seasons. Just yeah, but uh, no. Oh, the one other thing I do remember, I do remember, uh, I, I have this vague memory in high school of of having a somewhat vicious argument about <laughs> the fact that there was going to be a female captain in that Voyager show. Uh oh! Oh boy! Like, like I that like I had some friend of mine that that like upset him greatly for some really. <laughs> Yeah, I can't really remember the details. I just remember this like uh, <laughs> <coughs> that. Would, that was like that was a deal, right? Remember that? It yeah, absolutely yeah. was. I can imagine that being a deal. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely was. Uh, and I think Brett and I can speak to that just from the comic standpoint. You know, and this is something that Brett has championed for a while, especially on your CBR column. The idea of you know female. Female superheroes and females basically in position of power, like, rising to a place where it's not just something that everyone has to talk about as news, but something that is just assumed it's and acceptable. Yeah. That happens, which yeah. doesn't happen. I think a lot of women end up leading superhero teams a lot in comic books, which is actually maybe a good... Like, Storm was a leader of the X-Men for a long time, and that was never made a big deal. Rogue led the X-Men... And I think uh, I think those are both great. Both Black Widow and the Wasp have led the Avengers. They have. They I'm have indeed. Sure Bob Harris had Wasp running the Avengers yeah. for a while. Uh, and like Sue Storm has led the Fantastic Four at some point. I would imagine. Uh, Tom DeFalco had yeah. Sue Storm running the the FF. So that's cool. During the time that uh, Reed Richards, the only problem with her time as leader of the FF was is she was wearing that <laughs> sort of like. Basically, someone said, "Hey." What would be a great costume? Now let's do the negative of that. Yeah, uh, and she had, she had a booby window, a, a boob in, window the four in the shape of a four on her chest. A B. Uh, B attack. And that is that is just one of those nineties things that you. It, basically, what I'm trying to say is Sue Storm's time as leader of the FF is a mixed bag because it happened during the nineties. Yeah. Uh, so it was great that a woman was leading, but it was bad because it was the nineties. So she <laughs> so had, she had a, to look crazy. Yeah, she, she looked to, like she was about to leave there and go to the crazy horse and ride the pole. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but with your <laughs> with your fandom, I'm surprised that it's that recent. What? That like your intense fandom? That's is that true. Recent. I thought you were an OG fan. I would imagine this was like a 20-year-long thing, like watching it originally. Yeah, well... Also, because I know your personality type, dude. Oh. Oh, boy. you seem like a Trekkie. No, I think that's a (laughs) lot. I I think people just sort of... It's sort of like... um, Oh, what's that movie with Kevin Klein? Oh, In and Out. Yeah, <laughs> everyone just assumes. Everyone's like yeah. telling this guy he's gay, and then they're like, he goes like, "I guess I am." It was like that, but with Star Trek. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Okay. Uh, no, because I mean, it wasn't like it was one of those things too, where it's like you know, I realized, oh yeah, I've actually I I watched the show pretty regularly when I was younger, and like I did watch Voyager and stuff like that. So, um, I, in general, when I went away, I mean, just sort of like when I went to college, I like wasn't stopped watching TV regularly, and like just got busy with other things and a lot of that stuff life got in the way exactly I think life gets in the way so, with a lot of people and and, and didn't happen with I me mean, it's, what's wrong with I, that I, I, I'm seriously <laughs> like a big difference is that now I can just 
call up like any of those shows. I can either go to Wikipedia and just read a ton, or Memory Alpha, and oh, yeah. read a ton about it, and whenever I have sort of a question... I mean, the thing is, right, I've become an expert simply because when I have a question, I go look it up, and then it comes <laughs> up in conversation two days later, and then I, like, I'm full of these facts. Because you have weirdos like me who are just now discovering all this stuff. Well, no, because it used to be that somebody who would, like, have answers to these questions, like... You must have like watched a ton of this and like done all the original research. No, I'm just I'm piggybacking. I'm standing on the shoulders yeah. of giants. So but that's good because I, I'm, not, you I'm bring... not like ashamed of it or like or anything, right? Like I don't think I'm not like I don't think it makes me not a fan. Certainly but, not. But it certainly like isn't no, no. quite the same as somebody who's like you know hard fought knowledge by having to watch videotapes. That's someone who was on a letter writing campaign in the mid '70s to get the show back. Uh, you weren't one of those. No, or the late 60s to keep it on. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. You are now the voice of the Star Trek fan. The Star Trek fan, and the reason that I say this is the three of us, this past weekend, and I only say the three of us for that moment because it was the first time I saw the movie, Yes. but it was the second time for the both of you, we all went to see Star Trek Into Darkness this past weekend. And yeah. we, if you follow <laughs> Brett on Twitter... You know yeah. that he can't stop talking about it. It's because, I don't know, in my head I'm like, every time I see someone tweet something negative about it, I want to tweet something positive about it. Yeah, except five, five, even without people tweeting five, five. negative about it, you write like five positive hey man, things whatever, about it. You know. You're like, it's Sunday morning, you know what was awesome? When <laughs> Spock screamed Khan. Oh, also, spoiler alerts, whatever. Guys, just go see the movie. Mm, yeah, okay. Uh, that's fair. I. No, it's, been, it's been out a week now. We had, yeah. we had time to see it twice. Yeah. We yeah, had time to see it twice. What's your excuse? We'll put a spoiler uh, alert up also, in the show how, notes. how interesting a conversation about anything can you have without revealing spoilers. Oh, yeah, this is like, this is a thing that they, yeah, you oh, can't. No, uh, I, feel, I, I listen to a bunch of, like, tons of podcasts where, like, there's any discussion is, like, preceded by, I guess we're going to spoil this. Should we? Like, do we need to warn? And it's, like, the same conversation every time. Like, and the yeah. answer is and The yes. answer is always yes. Yeah. So, uh, we, I, I will say we, because I think that Brett and I are both in agreement that we loved the film, but Ben, as someone who is far more versed in Star Trek lore than we are, you had, you had some issues with it. Yes. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. We're not, we're, this so isn't a you, confrontation Did you, get, did you talk about it? Because when we walked to the theater... No, you, we haven't. You were, hold, you were biting your tongue, man. I was biting my tongue. The reason I was biting my tongue is because I knew what both of your positions were. And I you wanted to keep us in suspense. Was, well, I didn't want to keep you in suspense. I didn't want to make it feel like it was like The Bachelor and which one of you is going to get my rose. But <laughs> I, which one? I, I didn't, didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't want to think know, about that either. Our initial idea was that we would record immediately after the movie, but it was 2 a.m. on a Saturday. Cold. And it was cold. I was, cold. Mostly it was tired cold. and yeah. it was cold and ye gods. Yeah. But. I love that movie. I thought that uh, from an emotional standpoint and from an action standpoint, it was maybe one of the most exciting comic book movies of the past few years. If Yeah, I mean, if you want to put it in the comic book category. Com- yeah. yeah. How is it like genre? Like, how is it comic book? I mean, in the sense that... I would say that, genre of like the, well, okay. sci- like of the geek... I hate using the word geek, guys. I hate that. That's a tough one. Well, when no one made yeah. you use it. I, I accidentally did. Got to wean myself off of it. Uh... I think it was one of. I mean, it was probably the best movie I've seen in the theater since The Avengers. It was a lot of fun. It's really fun. It's fast paced. Uh, it's high octane. I will say that every friend of mine that I have spoken to, um, that is an OG Star Trek fan, has had severe issues with it. And the issues that they have stated, I, I feel like I can understand as a comic book fan. Yeah. 
Because we, it's like comic books have prepared us, I don't know, for looking past a lot of the problems maybe that people have Yes. With it. Yes, so that's, uh, we, I I think Brett and I were the people that... We are the augments. We are the genetically altered fans who have already put up with so much shit in comic books of history getting rewritten or history getting drudged up again for no discernible reason. Indeed. Uh, Inexplicable changes of either, like, ethnicity or looks of characters to the point where now when it happens all, it happens all over the place in Into Darkness. Yeah. I understand that. Like, the movie is... All up in its own minutia and its own history, and it steers way too close to a lot of things that Star Trek fans hold dear. When I feel like people wanted the movie to boldly go, I think that might be another. Like the pe- people wanted to see, like, okay, we got our first movie where there was connections. Let's see a new adventure. Like, mm-hmm. Let's actually see a totally new adventure. We have a new timeline. Let's do this. Yeah. And I think that was people's expectations going into it. And it does not do that. It very much kind of doesn't. Do I that. actually, yeah, I, I was actually thinking about that because I, I feel like I, I don't have the same kind of feelings about the first movie as I did about the second. Uh, and yeah, and I think part of that has to do with the first one being pretty much an original story. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, despite the fact that they were linking it up to the original continuity, like it pretty much, there's, it's all new. Yeah. Um, whereas the second one was very, like, it was arguably forced how much they tried to pull in stuff from the old continuity. I'll give you that. That's fair. Uh, That's fair. To the point oh, where yeah. it's like, and, and, and in a lot of a lot of it, it was, it, it just felt like why uh, it, it, like they were trying too hard. Um, it seems like they were like, um, knowing that Star Trek 2, just as a number in the Star Trek world, has very big connotations. Connota- like Star Trek 2. Like Breath of Khan is the big movie. So they're like, oh shit, we're making our Star Trek 2. It really does kind of seem like they were like, we just want to get past this one. Like we just, yeah. so let's just... Well, I'll tell you though. It kind of seems like watching, it like they maybe mirrored it on purpose just because they had to get it out of their system. They're just I have past seen... It. I don't know. No, but it, 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 what about it made you feel like they were getting it at like... I mean, well, I think, it, it, I, I think in terms of that, Brett is thinking about the idea that, I mean, J.J. Uh, Abrams, which is his pen name. J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. Uh, okay. His, he, you know, he's, to a certain degree, he does fan service. And I think that that's okay. As a producer, and then Damon Lindelof and Robert Orchie and Alec Kurtzman. Yeah. Um, who, by the way, were the showrunner, were the executive producers of Fringe, one of the best sci-fi series of the last And they were all, well, mm-hmm. Kurtzman and Ortsy were also uh, staff writers on Alias. Indeed. And also wrote the last two Mission Impossible movies, as well as Spider-Man 2 that's coming Indeed. out. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, anyway. They have a pedigree. But I can understand, I can understand the hesitation and the reservation with um, the ideas that happened in Star Trek, because... There was this, I guess there was this sort of, especially with my friends that are, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but mm-hmm. there's this sort of idea that there's an intellectualism that is inherent in the Star Trek franchise and the Star Trek universe that didn't necessarily fall into place with that film. In terms, Agree, of, or, in, in terms of like... In terms of like a ship oh, yeah. being underwater. There's a lot of like... Oh, yeah. Philosoph- like, like it happens briefly at the beginning of the movie, but there's a lot of philosophical rumination that happens in the series uh, that doesn't necessarily happen in this film. As blatantly. Because I do think there well, is a lot of deep message in this film, but it's not the same style. I agree. I agree. Yeah, before. so... Uh, actually, I'm sort of glad you mentioned this. There's, there's a really great 
I'm trying to look it up now so I can see because uh, I want to make sure I, I cite looking this properly. Looking it up properly. on your microphone. I'm looking it up yeah. on my microphone right now. Uh, We're living in the future, you guys. No, there's. I think. I think it was. I want to say Matthew Iglesias. Let me. I will. I will know in a second. Basically, the idea is that there's a movie versus TV issue. Uh, oh yeah. What are? I remember that. <coughs> I think. I think I gave you the link to. I think it was. Oh my goodness! All right. No, I'm not going to find it now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. It was uh, Matthew Iglesias, and I think it was on Slate. Um, but. Yeah, there, there's an issue, like, you can't, a lot of that stuff, a lot of that more slower, methodical, uh, you know, lesson-based stuff, or, like, metaphor-based yeah, is, is better suited for television yeah. because you, you can do stories at a slower pace and stretch things out and show things happening, evolving over time, that you can't really do in a movie. In a movie, you've got to get a whole story done. Uh, you have a chance to tell one story. Basically. You got to tell one story. One story that lasts like hours. four years. Yeah, and you and uh, yeah, and so like all of the scenes of like uh, you know a meeting where they figure out what you know or try to solve things diplomatically is harder to do in a film. So, I mean, I understand that, and that that was I mean that's arguably even an issue with the with the uh, you know the TV series versus the original films. But like, I don't know. I think like so. So let's talk. Let's talk about like the helicarrier. In Avengers versus the Enterprise being underwater, they're both big ships, and who cares? <laughs> That's my so. Yeah. With spoiler well, alerts, with with spoiler alerts, antennas read fully high, uh, run fully high. I'm sorry, I know, guys. I, think, I, I had a little too much fun. I'm pretty today. sure both of these things um, were in the trailers for both movies. But at the at the <laughs> at the onset of Star Trek Into Darkness, there is a huge action sequence where the uh, fleet of the Enterprise <clears throat> are on a native world, Nibiru. Nibiru. Is that a planet from I don't canon? remember that being in, in any other But it is uh, a Class M planet, which I discovered what Class M means from just watching a whole bunch of episodes of Next Generation, so that's cool. Yes. And on this Class M planet, they are trying to avoid being detected because they are a very, uh, very ancient species. They need their own primitive, time yeah. to evolve. <laughs> yeah. They're very primitive, and through circumstances, they are quickly discovered. And I'll tell you... It was an interesting teaser that uh, the last thing that we see before the credits is them drawing the Enterprise into the sand. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it doesn't come back. It doesn't come back at all. The, the, and, them drawing it into the sand? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the very idea that they discovered them, the only way it comes back is a theory by the Admiral saying that there's no way that we should have ever let ourselves be discovered by uh, by a primitive species the prime directive right yeah. so 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 this is so the prime directive right is a is a is something that c- comes up a whole bunch in throughout the series and the whole idea that like you don't interfere like <clears throat> when the sh- when the enterprise when any federation ship when the enterprise comes across a culture that has not yet discovered warp travel meaning, like, they're still sorting stuff out of their planet, that you don't interfere. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that comes out... Like, that's a very sci-fi kind of thing in the sense that it's, you know, the, the ethical issues that come up around that uh, let you explore a whole bunch of ideas um, that are interesting. That, yeah, and so that's the sort of thing where you know, like I said, again, you can you can kind of do that. Well, no, no, no. Actually, well, 
Oh no no, no. I was gonna say one of the movies, but it wasn't. Um, I'm I'm having I'm gonna, there's a lot of dead air I'm adding to this show <laughs> episode. Sorry. Um, but well, so prime directive aside, right? Prime, that's the motive that leads to them doing this crazy thing. So, that so, makes no so the re- sense. I mean, the reason you have the prime directive, right, is because once you choose, to, once you get involved, like you end up like you could end up making things much worse, even when you're trying to help. And there's plenty of like episodes yeah. of the show where they break it either on purpose or accidentally, and like you see the consequences, right? There's an original series episode where I think they find. I think they find out that the Klingons are... There's, like, a civil war on a planet, and the Klingons are already supplying weapons to one side. Ooh. And so they debate whether they should, like, even out the score or, like, what to do about it. And really, it's like, well, you know, the point is, like, they have way more advanced stuff than any one native of this planet does. Yeah. Like, you can cause more... You know, trying to make things fair, even if your heart's in the right places, can cause a lot more problems. Uh, so, like, in this movie, for example, it, yeah, they, they sort of pay lip service to it. It's like, oh, right, we get to see, like, a planet where they are pre-warp, and they do get involved, and they shouldn't. But, like, there are no consequences for that. Well, Kirk like, gets in trouble. Yeah, Kirk gets in trouble <laughs> because it's, like, a rule, and he gets in trouble with, like, his boss. But, like, it's not it's not a problem from any kind of ethical standpoint, right? Like, there's no negative... Co- like you said, we don't go back to that planet. We don't know if there are any negative consequences to the fact that they saw the ship. Uh, I, I mean, I was led to assume, like, well, the first time I watched it, not even really knowing them, like, that, basically knowing about the Prime Directive, I was left with the intention of, like, oh, shit, like, they shouldn't have done that. Like, they either say some lines right before they show them drawing it in the sand, where, I don't know, as me as a kind of new viewer, I was led to believe, like, this was a much bigger deal than Kirk was letting on, and he's going to get in big trouble. Well, like, yeah. I, so I, I mean, mean, I, I, I mean, guess I got them, that. Them drawing that shows that they saw them, right? But like, yeah. well, but it also seems arguably, like, they, like what is the, like? Okay, they right. Had, this is they good. were they were chasing after a deity that they were worshiping that they had stolen just to get them distracted, and then basically we see. Well, we, we, yeah, we see them. Know. Oh, now they're worshiping this ship. Like well, that's not a good. Thing. What it look? They never actually say what's <clears> happening. What it looks like, right, is that they they t- they take something from this temple that they were all so all the all the people are chasing them. Because when they and then when they like stick it in a tree, everyone stops. So clearly, like that was the thing that they had taken, and supposedly they're luring them away because later that that uh, temple gets blown up. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's like it's like all right, so like this is a sort of a scenario. This is a Star Trek kind of scenario and a problem of like non interference. But again, like it's in the movie, but like not in a consequential way. Like, yeah, because it's a movie, and they only have like ten minutes to give it attention. Yeah, yeah like but, they have to get through so it. So again, on. I was actually going to bring that up though, because like like I said, I want the helicarrier versus, uh, and this is genuinely a question, right? Like the heli, I don't, I don't feel like the helicarrier in the Avengers. And the Enterprise being underwater are both, I do feel they are both, like, physically, in terms of physics, ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Well, absolutely. And, but see, this is but, where we come from, because I watch both of those, and I'm like, yeah, that could happen. Like, yeah. I know nothing about this stuff. I'm like, yeah, the helicarrier. I was okay with it. I or, was okay with it. Or I'm, like, or I'm like, I know, like, oh, it's a comic book, so that probably couldn't happen, but I don't care. So, like, so, so yeah, so here's the deal, right? Like, a helicarrier, like, the helicarrier, as it is shown in the Avengers, like, doesn't make sense, could not fly... Uh, and certainly, the idea of having something, like, underwater also become airborne is, like, extremely difficult. Like, water... The point is, the Enterprise, were it to be underwater, like, and you try to, like, lift it up out of the water, like, the nacelles would snap off, like, it would not... Like, water is heavy, and having it all around there would put, like, a ton of 
pressure on things. Like Are just they, lifting does it, it up. Does, like, does it does depth matter? Yeah, because for me, like I thought they were just under the surface. Like I didn't think they were that far down. So like well, the they, pressure. They had to be that. far. But the point is, it's a big enough ship. Yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> but like, why? Like, okay. Like, a if they couldn't be seen, <laughs> right? Like. Them going entering to go under the, the water. The fact that they didn't just send like a scout ship down instead of the no, entire the enterprise. They could have stayed in orbit. Like every other yeah. situation, they stay in okay. orbit. There's that was that is only there. That was only there for the visual and only there to create the to create the problem that they had. Right, which was the idea. Like, well, if we get the ship, we can't move the ship into position over the volcano without somebody seeing it. Yeah. But the thing is, like, they couldn't have ever gotten the ship under there without somebody seeing it. And even even if, like, you could come up with rationalizations for all of that, like, physically you couldn't do it. And the thing with that is that, like, the, the, the physics of, like, how that machinery works, I think is more important in the Star Trek universe. Whether or not you could possibly build any of that is more important in the Star Trek universe than I think it is to, like, the Avengers. Yeah, because I, yeah, I don't care about any of it. Well, no, not, about, <laughs> not just that, right? But, like, people don't... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, right? But, like... Like, I don't think anyone has ever decided to, like, become a scientist or a doctor based on watching, like, based on reading uh, the Avengers comics. I mean, maybe, but I've never heard those stories, whereas I have heard a million of them about. About Star Trek. Yeah. You know, whether you can, like, gloss over the the, the science of things, like, like is Bush. That, does that matter? Yeah, yeah, What's that? <laughs> like Bush, the band Bush, and oh. their album, The Science of Things. Exactly. Whether we can ignore that album, or... Whether like is it everyone does? Is it just is it just being a grouch to say that this mat like mm. that that matters or is Star or is there something about Star Trek that me- that means it should matter more than in another series? I think all of those things. I don't think I definitely think that the thing with this movie is I do think that a lot of criticisms I understand where most every criticism comes from. I just think that it depends on you as a moviegoer what you prioritize more. Like, when I go to a movie, I don't care about physics like, at all. Like, that, like, physics and the science of things mm-hmm. has played zero factor in my enjoyment of a movie. And even, like, plot holes pay, play zero. Interesting. Like, I don't care. Like, I was trying to think of movies that I hate specifically because of plot holes. Mm-hmm. I don't think there are any. The only, th- the only movies that I hate are ones that are either, like, horribly acted, uh, have no real stakes have characters that I actively hate or characters that just act stupid. Yeah. Which I even think that even though there are plot holes in Star Trek and Darkness, all the characters still act to the top of their intelligence in in situations that might be filled with plot holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are things that I look for. So, like, I found nothing at all wrong with that opening sequence. Like, I was like, cool, there's ships underground. Cool, they're going to jump into it. Cool. Like, and I was just like, this is great. Yeah, no, it, uh, it's it's fun It's fun to watch, but if you, like, and you that pick for me it apart... Enough, but I understand. Yeah. Um, no, but, it, but like, the thing, it, the thing you ask me, right, is it, it's not like one... It's not like there's one thing that's like, oh, this ruins it, right? It's sort of just like a feeling of, like, a death by a thousand cuts of, like, a lot of little, like... Like give give up a little bit here, like compromise a little bit here, and then like what's left? Like what, when it's over, like what do you have left? Like this isn't really different than anything else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I think the one thing that, and I think this is actually still pretty unusual about Star Trek is that it is it really is it tries to put itself in 
like our continuity, like our it's trying to say like this is yeah, you know, potentially humanity's future. Yeah. As opposed to just saying this is a story set in the future and you know, may you know, has nothing you know, it's not making a statement. And so the idea that like you know, the idea of, of getting the getting the physics right uh, or at least not playing fast and loose with it, I think is part of that. Um, you know, th- there were original series stories that, like, involved... Like, there was one that involved, like, Kirk turning into a ghost. And they changed, you know, they changed that up to, like, being this, like, well, maybe he's, like, phased out of the dimension in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the physics are, like, you know, completely, like... You but know, they try. Like, yeah. But but it's like they try to come up with things... They try to get it to the point where a physicist could be like, well, I guess they could probably yeah, yeah. maybe do that. I wonder... Which is not a very high standard. But the point yeah. is, like, when you... Then when you get... You know, it, it's, like, it's easier in space when you when you, when you get stuff in, in the water... On Earth, where we it's like, this, we know how this works. I think that's the name of the episode. It's easier in space. Yeah. <laughs> so the I, point is, it's, it's just like making that trade-off for the sake of this visual, getting a, a very yes. cool visual. But it's like, that is the kind of trade-off that's like not... That's You that's feel like that is not satisfying enough. Or it's there's not, not enough it's, it's return on the it's investment. Not it's just different yeah. from what Star Trek has no, ever it's, been. No, I think it's disrespectful. Okay. It really is, right? Okay. It's saying, like, I'm going to go... Let's go for something that looks really cool, even if it compromises the integrity of the show. Yeah. And I think okay. I think part of the integrity of it is this attempt to make it, you know, set up this universe and make it, make it as real as possible within this world. Okay. I think um, that's yeah. fair. That's yeah. fair. It's just, like, not a thing that I ever... Because I think, I think, you know, I think it, well, if you're used to the continuity of your world getting rebooted, like, every time a new writer comes on, and, like, you know, uh, Star Trek hasn't had that much material. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd have to count, I mean, I have never, I haven't read any of the novels, uh, and they're not technically canon, but even, like, you know, I think even with that, I think there's way more raw material in a lot of comic book stories yeah. than there is, uh, there is on Star Trek. Um, I think that's fair. And, you know, it's interesting because, and this is especially why we wanted to bring you on and talk to you about this, because Brett and I come from that sort of, uh, you know, we're very continuity-minded people, and we've had a lot of continuity jerked around on the things that we follow and and care about. And it's fascinating to see something as an, uh, almost as an outsider, something that the two of us really enjoyed but that people from the inside have uh, taken a lot of umbrage with and have had very specific uh, complaints about it. It's almost, like, it's almost like being on the other side of the looking glass for me. Yeah. I mean, like, a lot of the complaints... I mean, if you had talked to me ten years ago during Grant Morrison's X-Men run... Oh, boy, you hated that run! I don't, We're I going mean, to yeah, yeah. read that run on this but show, and this is all going to come out Grant in the Grant Morrison came onto the book, and all of a sudden the Imperial, Imperial Guard were just randomly called the Super Guardians, mm-hmm. with no explanation as to why they were now called Super Guardians. And no one within the comic book actually calling out the fact, like, haven't they been called Imperial Guard for, like, 20 years, and now we're just calling them Super Guardians? Okay. Like, that was enough to make me just pissed and not read anymore because like again like Grant Morrison is to X-Men as J.J. Abrams is to Star Trek in a way maybe in some ways okay like Grant Morrison didn't give a shit about the uh, established personalities of very minor characters like Siren and Multiple Man and like Warpath like he didn't care about that he wanted to just use them as just placeholders to tell his wider story whereas me being a hardcore entrenched X-Men fan the fact that he was 
having Multiple Man and Siren, two of my favorite characters, who may not be the flashiest or most well-known X-Men, but the fact that he was writing them in ways wildly inconsistent pissed me off. It felt like someone coming in and telling your cousins, who you've known for years, to act a completely different way. Yeah. And I think that that's the same thing that you have, like, that's the same thing with Star Trek. It's like, Star Trek has always been set in this, in a real-ish world where the laws of physics, like, that's a thing that they take care of. That's a thing that they try to make work. Yeah. And the fact that you now have J.J. Abrams, who is very public in his <clears throat> past disinterest in Star Trek. Yeah. Whether or not he likes it now, which he says he likes it a lot now. <laughs> is it? No, but like, he, well, yeah, like the but... guy says, like, the original series is my favorite show, and I'm not going to be cynical enough to be like, prove it. Like, sure. you know, whatever. Um, or, you know, well, I mean, they paid him money. He's going to take the paycheck. I'm like, like... But there's a lot of different reasons to like things, too. Like, I actually, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't read too much of Jabram. Uh, J. Abrams on words. J. 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 Abrams is his pen name. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read like a lot of interviews or anything, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know if to pick them apart, but I do know that like I think the Simpsons writers like they or whatever the producers did like surveys on why people like the Simpsons, and like one of the number one reasons are like the colors. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a very colorful <laughs> oh, show. Yeah. Uh, oh boy, you know that's a really option. Yeah. So. But, it, so, so like, just, you know, even if it just says, like, well, well now I've gone back and watched and I, I really enjoy them. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean, like, why why you enjoy them is, is different. I mean, if you just like sort of campy stuff and, like, Shatner's delivery, uh, yeah, you then know, you're probably the, fine with the darkness. Then there's, there's pl- well, n- yeah, okay. Well, but, like, if you're yeah, just I'm watching just for, like, space adventure, then you're yeah. probably down within the darkness. Yeah. Um, because to take it from the J.J. Abrams school of thought was like he he's a very public Star Wars fan, which I am as well. Yeah. yeah. And the thing I, I literally remember one of the being in kindergarten, and this was like I don't know I could call this one of the first like pieces of stand up material I had, but I, I specifically remember being at the lunch table and doing a like you know Star Trek does this, Star Wars does this routine to everyone all the kids, and basically it was like Star Wars people run, Star Trek people fucking walk. Everywhere, except I didn't say fuck because I was in kindergarten. That's yeah. true. Which is incredibly true in a way. Yeah, and there was a lot of running in this movie. And, but that's the thing is like J.J. Abrams. Not only does he have them run, I feel like he puts them in situations and gives them stakes that, for the most part, necessitate that they do run because well shit is going down. Yeah. Whereas the, well, yeah. I mean, no, is, it's, yeah. The running, the running is a it's a it's a film. It's a visual device, right? It conveys like all the urgency, urgency and stress, and like which is what I miss yeah, when I watch action, Star Trek. Yeah, sure. It does compromise. Like, and again, right? Like watching it, it's fun and it does like get you worked up. And like, so I mean, it was a good film. Uh, it was a good like action movie. But like, it also like that's one of the things. So one of my other complaints, right, is that like, the Enterprise has a crew of like three hundred people. Uh, from like, you would not know it from the script, like. You would not know that anyone on the ship is capable of doing anything other than, like, a handful of people on the bridge. Yeah. Right? They're constantly running down... Like, they're running down hallways to do things when, like, somebody probably in the location could handle it. Uh, you know, like, like in the first... So, for example, in the first movie, in the first Abrams movie, um, there's that one part where they're trying to beam... Uh, uh, Kirk and Sulu are falling to oh, yeah. Vulcan surface, oh, so good. and they need to beam them up. But oh. they're in, they're falling. Yes, and that's very tricky. And it's great. No, and it is. It's great. <laughs> like that's actually a great one, right? And like, uh, 
And so uh, Chekhov runs, he runs down the hall, like, ah! I can do this, I can do this, because he knows, like, and he has to get to those controls to do it. All right, no, that's cool. And, like, that that actually made sense, right? That, like, he had to be uh, there in the yeah. transporter room operating this pad to try to do it. And, and like, it is super d- complicated. Uh, it was a super complicated thing to do, so, like, he needed to personally do it. Uh, okay, like, that moment I had no problem with. That was, that was fun. Yeah. But, like... You know, I felt like this movie, they had, like, anything that needed to be accomplished required someone to go running down the hall. Um, yeah. And also just the idea that, like, they... The, the moment I'm where, okay with watching Alice Eve run anywhere. <laughs> Can I just say that? I'm sorry. That's why probably... was she... Why... Why... Okay, I will... I'll give them credit. They worked really hard to figure out how to have a shot of her undressing... Ye gods. Because there, really, okay. there was yeah. really no that. reason she had to change in the shuttle craft. craft. Nope. It, it, it worked in a way that it did not work. <laughs> uh, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, they, uh, but I, could you, like, what other way would they have been able exactly. to work it in? Yeah. Uh, they could have tried even harder. I, I, I don't know. I mean, they worked hard to work it in, but they did not work hard to make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, Butthead, you like, should have heard what you just but, said. But, but, but well, like, they should have also had Bones in there. Like, seriously, they should have yeah. had both of them in there taking off their ah, stuff. for God's sake, And, Jim. oh, Ellen, come on, like, this would be, like, a great, like, she's like, Kirk, don't look at me, and then Bones is like, well, don't look at me. I like that. And then it's, then Kirk looks at her, she looks at Bones. I don't know. Like, just, like, make, make it That's, a farce. Make yeah, it yeah. an episode of yeah, Friends. That, that would have been, been mildly better. <laughs> like, play it up for um, comedy instead of, like, weird, like, Kirk being a lech. Yeah, um, so, so, okay, so there's this other idea that actually is a very, it's kind of a Star Wars, Star Trek, Star Wars versus Star Trek idea, right? Which is, like, is, is this, sto- is this a story about, like, a few very important people or is it a story about like a working I don't know how to phrase the the, the other end of that right a working, a working like, ship full of people yeah, who, of who everyone there there is a ship of hundreds of people who have one common mission yeah. and is it a is it the story about the ship or is it the story about a I mean, few people so, in the ship right and so the the, the attitude is uh, this is sort of not true because, in the sense, like, well, the show is about the character. Like, the show has to be about the characters, yeah. otherwise, it'd be very boring. Yeah, but, it would just be Star. But the philosophy of Star Trek, right, is that like, well, these are just like people doing their job on this starship, and this is like they're representing humanity in space. Where Star Wars is very much a story about Luke is special. Yeah, like these are yeah. special yeah. people that have been like designated by mystical the, forces, yeah. and they're like Fate more important than the rest of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, like, that is another thing that I think these movies sort of lean toward, um, part, partly in that, th- in that idea that, like, well, can anyone else in the ship do these jobs? Um, I was like, here's Captain Kirk and here are his buddies. Like, yeah. Here, yeah. Um, but also, yeah, just the, there's all sorts of ways in which, like, the sh- like this is like a professional military-type organization. Does, but do the TV- and it's not, like, it's not operated that way. Like, there's all sorts of things, like, even, like, the idea that, like... Uh, Carol Marcus gets on the ship with like a pseudonym and like th- no one catches that. Well, like, Spock catches it. N- he's what, uh, yeah, he like, looks after, into it after and they take it. off. Yeah. I mean like that I don't know. You you can <clears throat> that's one thing like you can sort of work around and they kind of do, but it's it like that added up with all these things like just changing on the shuttlecraft and like um I something else I forgot now. Uh it doesn't it doesn't really feel like star- well even 
I mean, the other more problematic thing, which actually they, the Abrams tried to address in this one, right, is the idea that, like, oh, at the end of the first movie, like, they're literally... Kirk's, like, in the middle of an academic hearing, and then by the end of the film is suddenly, like, they decide to make him captain of the ship. Like, in the real, like, in the quote-unquote real universe, all right? All this happened. Like, Kirk <laughs> all this like, really happened. went through Starfleet and then, yeah. like, served on a different ship and, like, worked his way up in the ranks and then eventually got a captain. Like, you know, the way, like, anyone would progress to a normal organization. Because he was very good, but, like, he wasn't, like, um, he wasn't, like, he wasn't you a know. phenom. Yeah. Um, I mean, even as, as much as a phenom as he may have been, right, like, he's in an organization that is, like, a meritocracy with, with rules and, like, you get promotions. And, like, he basically worked his way up to get to be captain of the Enterprise. Yeah. And in the movies, it's like, no, Kirk is special and that's why he gets to be captain. Yeah, uh, I, 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 and I then, can see all that. And the second one, they sort of address it by having Pike be like, I made a mistake, you're actually in over your head. Uh, and then the same disaster, like, a disaster, a disaster happens and he gets to be captain anyway again. Uh, and at the end of it, he got, like... You know, there's sort of no consequence for... I guess, but, like, the part of me that's, like... I don't know. All that is so fine to me. Like, none of that... I can definitely see the difference in it, but it's like, I want to watch a movie about characters, and if they're going to be who I'm spending time with, they should be special. I don't know. But there's a difference between special... But there's a a difference between special... uh, You know, special... Everybody, like, special people are special. Mr. Rogers special. Versus, like... (laughs) Versus like magic, right? Like the like like it's weird, right? Because like the the speech Pike gives, like whether the rules actually apply. Like I actually think it's weird that that speech is in the movie because like it feels like you know whoever put this movie together doesn't actually believe any of that. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I can see that. And like and again, I, I don't. And again, that's one of those things where it's like you know, for the sake of this movie being a fun movie to watch, nah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But for the sake of like it being Star Trek, like yeah, it kind of it it compromises it a bit because you're you're weakening the idea of Starfleet being this like mature, functional organization. It, it feels like a different thing. Uh, it feels like because most times when comic book movies are are um, most sometimes when comic book movies stray apparently as farly as into darkness does from its source material. They're also horrible movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Into Darkness is, despite what pretty much all of your friends are saying on Twitter, a critical success. It is acclaimed. It's probably it's one of but the. But Brett, you get we're talking about different no, I, different yes, ways I, I, to yes. measure a thing, right? No, I know, I get that. What I'm saying is, when Spider-Man Three or X-Men Three veer from course, they're also bad movies. Whereas when this one veers from course people still like enjoy them and like them well but are they and veering I think it's different so can you it's weird. how are they veering are they veering in a way that would, that would be the same like like well, if I mean, you did a spider-man X-Men, like even the last stand veers from course in terms of like not really giving a shit about the x-men inserting random characters in for no reason other than just than just to exploit their powers uh and just being like a power fest but on top of that it's also like horribly written uh directed super lazily you know, like, it's also, like, a technically bad movie. Whereas, like, Into Darkness is, like, dialogue is great. So, let's, these, so, like, so, so here's the thought experiment, right? What if, I, what if someone made a Spider-Man movie? Here we go. All right, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Uh, Someone's going to make a Spider-Man movie. Here we go. But change up the origin so that How? Peter Parker is, like, no longer a poor kid from Queens, but he's actually just swap him out with Batman, right? So, like... He's actually like orphan son of some uh, of some rich people. Technically, he is an orphan. 
Like, but basically, you have, you have Batman, uh, you have Batman, but, like, give him Spider-Man's powers. And so you make a Spider-Man movie, but just give him Batman's origin story. Ha! Huh. So he's raised with a butler, but he has Spider-Man's powers. Oh, boy. Okay. So... Did they how really think that is a drastic map on to how Star Trek was changed? Yeah, I mean, yeah, was Star Trek doing darknesses? No, like, was it really that different? Um... I mean, in a way, right? Like, because you're talking parent, about turning like, a pauper into a prince. The two that they have, the two things that they have in common, are that they're both sort of loners, and they have a very intense moral code. But one was raised a rich child; the other one was raised a poor child. Yeah, but if he's if he's fighting people with like webs and stuff, like, what does it matter? <laughs> okay. Okay. All well, right. Because I mean, like, you would say like the. No Central point. thing of Spider-Man isn't so much that he has Spider-Man powers. It is with a great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, is the bigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the most important thing about Spider-Man is that he is someone who understands that great power comes with great responsibility. Not only that, but you have to create hardships for that character and hard choices for him to make that he may not always make correctly or quote unquote correctly. Uh, in terms of what is best for other people versus what is best for him. And, well, I think in that way, again, Batman and Spider-Man are pretty similar. Um, I mean, really, oh, God, now I'm starting to think maybe they're just split up, especially after Dan Slott's run on Big Time. Are they really only split up by the fact that one of them was poor and the other one was rich? No, well, I mean, I think that Batman has a level of intensity. Batman doesn't have an alter ego. Like, Spider-Man is Peter Parker. That's Batman true. is Batman. But Batman... even if you go back to, like, right before the Clone Saga, the very initiation of the Clone Saga, you're looking at a Peter Parker who felt that he had no other identity except for Spider-Man. Well, that's the weird thing with comic books. is like, when, you're a, when you exist for 50 years, odds are a writer has tried out every different iteration of your character whether or not it works or not. True. So, like, if Star Trek was a comic book and not a TV show that kind of, in turn, like, a TV series that kind of maintained a steady level of, like, authorial intent. Like, pretty much, like, writers from Next Generation probably went on to Deep Space Nine to help get it started. Yeah. Who then went on to Voyager and got it started. Like, they, whereas, like, if, if Star Trek was a comic book series that every four years had a... 100% like a new person writing it. Yeah. Odds are you would have had like a Star Trek phase and into darkness phase. No, a phase there's, where there's like actually different. There's been more or less a continuity of yeah. people. The, the people who've been involved in producing Star Trek, there's been a continuity from the beginning until now. Un, yeah, until J.J. Abrams is, did his movie. So, so like, this is literally the first time that Star Trek has experienced this. You're seeing X Men shift over from Roy Thomas to Chris Claremont. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I guess to kind of think about it as a larger whole. Um, I mean, you came out of the movies feeling like they were very inherently flawed. In the, in the second, in the immediate, like, seconds after I left the theater, I was like, that was great! Uh-huh. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but, like, and then after, like, thinking about it and talking about it with people, you start to see, like, oh, things come apart. And, like, oh, yeah, that actually, that first scene, you know, by the end of the movie, like, that bit on Nibiru is, like, ancient history, but it's like, yeah, actually, that was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, like... <coughs> Do you feel... Well, the, let me ask this as, as sort of our, like, thesis... Final thesis question. Do you feel that Into Darkness has deserved the criticism that it has received from 
and, and and listeners, listen, if you are a diehard Star Trek fan and, and you feel that I'm insulting you in any way right now, I apologize, but... Matt means it. He's, he's bullying you. <laughs> but what I'm saying, but what I'm going to ask is, do you feel that it has deserved the scrutiny and the criticism that has been placed upon it uh, in terms of this is not true to the spirit of the franchise, and this is not a film that is true to the idea of what Star Trek stands for. Um, it's well, it's hard to me to answer that because I haven't. Uh, I've read a couple of things, but I haven't gone out and sought a lot of material. Like I haven't actually sort of surveyed exactly what everyone's writing. So to say whether it deserves the level, I don't know what level it's getting. Actually, I don't even know sort of box office wise what it did. I think uh, it did. Not- that great. It was I not mean, that great. But well, like, I mean, it made five million less than Star Trek did on its opening weekend, which is kind of a makes me really upset. Yeah, I think that's another level. Is like, I <laughs> I am a nut person, and like the the, the I'm, a, I'm made of nuts. <laughs> I am made nut of person. I'm a yeah, like I'm the a... thought that like Simon Pegg might be kind of sad that it didn't like it opened five million less than Star Trek, and he might not get to be Scotty. Like, I think of that like man like. J.J. James is fine. He's going to do Star Wars. He's going to be fine. Yeah. But like the fact that, like, you know, Carl Urban and, like, Zoe Saldana are just like, oh, our movie, like, people don't like our movie that we were. Like, I don't know. Like, I think about these people as people, and maybe they're all monsters. Maybe yeah. they are maybe they deserve yeah. it. Well, even, yeah. like, box but office I, is I a weird... Like, if you think about it, right? Like box the, office is weird. No, well, opening weekend box office primarily measures how good a job they did advertising the movie. I don't like, know if they did that good of a job, honestly. Well, Regardless, yeah. like, like I'm just saying, like that number. Is, there's a, all sorts of problems with that anyway. So, okay, I think picking apart your question is really not helping uh, get at whatever you wanted to get at. You're asking, does it deserve? Let me let me see. You're asking, does the movie deserve uh, the judgment yeah. that it is not true to the spirit of Star yeah. Trek? I act, yes. I don't think it. I don't think it is. Oh boy. Okay. I think it's. The, if we're just talking about spirit, yeah, I don't, I don't think it really hits it. I think it tries to, it, it's like a very good surface representation. It takes a lot of element. In fact, it almost, it, it's like almost like someone trying too hard as far as cramming it full of references yeah. to things. Yeah, there are a lot when, of references. Like, they, the last movie was all about giving them a clean slate, and then instead they do a movie where they, they cram in stuff there's even a, like watching the second time I notice the shuttle that they take down to the Klingon planet yeah. uh, they say that they they um, it was a shuttle they confiscated during the mud incident which oh, is yeah. a reference to the guy that brought the triples aboard yes uh, well know. and they also have triples in it too and yeah. they do have triples well they have um, yeah, they have a triple Spoilers again. Which is triple, which was like, you know, and it's like, it's like, why bother? Like, why not just have a weird, but I also like, like why not have like a weird space mouse in there that he's using as a lab rat, which would make more sense. In that way. Like, like cramming all those things in there was clearly this aggressive way of being like, like, if anything else, right, right, the whole point of this was, well, let's, let's reboot the thing to make movies, make a more mainstream, make a movie that, make a Star Trek movie that will appeal to a more mainstream audience. And maybe a bigger foreign audience, because actually Star Trek apparently is is one of those properties that has not done as well overseas that it has yeah. done here. Um, if that was your attempt, then like, why spend all this effort doing stuff that clearly is there to they think you bait. like it, man. They, they think clearly you want to bait the hardcore it. fans with. <clears throat> and, it, and it just feels like, it feels like someone who is trying too hard to make you love them. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. By, That's you fair. Know, uh, by shoving all these things that they heard you like in your face. I, I, I will say, like, I guess, like, what I'm learning is... Uh, I mean, the reasons that I love the movie... The reason that I love the movie... Four and a half stars, like, way better than Iron Man 3. I have not loved a movie like this since Avengers, probably. I And I think I respond to it because... I, a, I love ensembles. Um, I love that every mm-hmm. single character gets a hero moment that ranges from, like, okay, to fuck yeah. Uh, every character does, I think. Mm-hmm. Every character <clears throat> has a personality that I love and that is entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all... God, it's just so... It's fantastically entertaining. Um, so well acted. Like, these are the things, like, I... And they're all... They're all friends in space. Like, they are all, like... They all care about each other, and I think that that is sold to me. I think that the entire arc between Kirk and Spock and their friendship I buy, which I know a lot of people don't buy and think they're coasting on the coattails of 50 years of history, but also I don't know how they couldn't do that. I don't know how they could have made... I mean, like, you kind of, that's a kind of an unavoidable thing. Like, you can't name two characters, Kirk and Spock, and not expect people to bring their well, no, but you 50 years of baggage on but board. No, no, the issue, but the issue is <clears> that... And I do think that they do show you enough instances of them being friends to justify everything that they do in the movie. I think, from I, when I was watching it. It's not, it's not cut and dry, but they, but they clearly, like... They've set up the timeline where they're having these moments. They haven't known each other for as long as they did... During the the events, they still known of, each the events of Wrath and Khan, they've uh, Wrath of Khan, they've known each other how, for how a much, much time longer time. How much time passed between the first and second one? First and second movies, Star Trek and Star Trek and the Darkness. Uh, Eight year, four years. Oh, oh, two thousand nine to two thousand thirteen. Yeah, I mean four years for us. But oh like, no, in they movie. treat no. I believe that they say four years ago in the film. Yeah. When they discuss like the initial incidents <laughs> that happened in the first film, you can become very good friends with someone in four years. <laughs> Did they say it was four years? I, I don't, don't get the impression I, it was I, that long. I got a memory alpha. They definitely have the dates. I'm 100 percent sure they, they probably. Because I, I got the impression it happened more like immediately after. Because I mean, if you think about it, right? Like Kirk gets the ship. They haven't even gone on the five-year mission For Pike yet. to be, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, a, yeah, a, they're making a big deal about starting the five-year mission that yeah. is the TV series, yep. <clears throat> and like it's but even I mean, weirder for Pike to like be upset with Kirk for all the risk taking he's done if that had been if he'd been doing it for four years yeah. that's like that but, they definitely, but they, they definitely already okay like they've already gone on I mean this is getting out of a tangent when we should be break, uh, ending but yeah the um <laughs> I, I would almost argue that they it's all earned because they've already they've gone they've, they've clearly gone on a bunch of missions because when we see Into Darkness like they're on a mission they have referenced past missions They've clearly at least done a number of years. And I would say that considering the level of intensity uh, through which the crew was formed into the first Star Trek movie, I feel like those bonds are super deep. Maybe deeper than the ones in the original series because budget and the way that they made TV shows back then didn't really show them in that dire of straits all the time. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. That's just what I'm getting from starting to watch the 60s show is like, everything's like, not as it's definitely not as intense because we need movies to be loud and fast nowadays. Yeah, Some, actually, I, I, I'll comment on one thing that I, I was mentioning to Ellen earlier today, which was the um, one thing I really liked as far as like being scary was when they're uh, Khan and Kirk are flying, or basically they shoot them out of the ship towards yeah. the the bigger ship. Do they they're, name that other ship? 
I wasn't the Vengeance. Was that its name? That's a very on the nose name. If it was called uh, the yeah, Vengeance. Yeah, I feel like I feel like someone may have mentioned <laughs> they, it in yeah, that they way. Named it. I can't remember what it was but called. I don't, I don't okay, know well, whatever. Sure. Okay, so the, when they're flying through towards the debris shield, and Kirk's helmet gets hit, and the glass starts cracking. Yeah, that is was crazy because that almost that level of like vulnerability almost never happens. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly for budget, like the reason. Yeah. The reason uh, it's ridiculous to think that, like, if your spaceship gets hit from the outside, your control panel explodes. <laughs> like that's nuts. Like sparks they, shoot everywhere. Yeah, and smoke. They've been doing that from the beginning, and that's yeah. like stupid. Uh, but clearly, that's a way to like telegraph like the danger. Thing that things are happening. Uh, yeah, and like to to sort of make it. It'll all be repaired by yeah. tomorrow. Right. Like in fact, <laughs> even the idea, even that like they would even be rocked out of their seats, like kind of messes like. You have to like you have to be kind of liberal with like well what do you think they're doing with the gravity like, yeah they're gen- yeah. the gravity's fake to begin with, um, so like the thing is right like when they're, even when they're being shot at even when like they're under threat like individually you're still housed in this giant metal box and you're not you know you're yeah. okay and so in that moment and like and they would very rarely like the reason they have a transporter right is to save money on figuring out how to like land yeah. a ship so. So you very rarely have, like, that kind of vulnerability in the show. But then when he's got, like, a helmet on and just, like, a... <laughs> it's just a, him. It's just glass and vacuum and it starts to crack is, like... Again, like, physics-wise, he probably, like... Once there's a crack on, he probably would have been dead. Like, it, it would have, like... His face would have exploded out and, and whatever. <laughs> but... But like there would have been a moment where it's like as that glass is cracking, that was that was that was pretty wild. That was really well done. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, uh, listeners. I hope that you liked what you heard here because we are going to continue this into our next episode, which yeah. is a comic book episode where the three of us, Ben, will be returning onto the show, which we're very excited about. We will be reading the Star Trek X Men crossover. From the nineties, two from the nineties, published a couple years co-published apart. by Marvel and Top Cow Entertainment. Ta- oh, that makes sense. Yeah, why did Top we'll Mark Silvestri on we'll art? Because Mark Silvestri is a hardcore Star wow. Trek fan. Okay, uh, and uh, we're very excited to dive into these, especially because they're very nineties and they're also uh, uh, very obsessive on each side. And you know. As you've listened, that Ben knows his Star Trek, <coughs> and listeners know that Brett knows his X-Men. So, so I'm going to be mad, standing so. in the middle of a war zone, <laughs> and the only person on my side is the Brood, who are the villains <laughs> are the villains in, the in first this one, right? story. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I assume... I haven't, looked, I haven't read the books the yet, but I, I assume what happens is Brett and I team up and defeat you. Um, Lord, I hope so, because the Brood are scary as hell. Yeah, <laughs> like, worse than the Borg? I think the oh, Borg are the villain. The Borg are on the cover of the second one. Wait, they're, yes. they're crossovers <clears throat> too? Because, like, the, there's one that is X-Men Star Trek, and then the other one is X-Men Star Trek Second Contact. And yes. it's a, it's Next Generation. Like, so the first one is the original series. The second issue is Next Generation cast. Guys, guys, spoilers. Spoilers. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. We'll figure out week. how. Yeah, you can get these some way. We'll we'll have can links. We, on can the we apologize? I just want to point out we didn't even start to talk about Khan. Oh man, uh, we didn't even get to Khan. <clears throat> so I feel we should apologize for that. You guys should leave me. Uh, we'll we'll split up now. You leave me on a uh, on a desert world, and then come back for me next week. Yeah. And by that point, You'll you will have and exhausted. Then I, will be, I will be angry and will take over. Attempt to take over the podcast. Yeah. 
Uh, so, guys, thanks so much for listening. As always, we hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. If you are across the seas, we hope that you uh, imagine what Memorial Day was like for Americans and had a great weekend as well. Um, you can always check us out on uh, on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash thematlittle. I'm twitter.com slash Brett White. And, and Ben uh, is twitter.com at Benzado. Benzado. Yeah. B-E-N-Z-A-D-O. You can uh, check us out at mattandbrettlovecomics.com. While you're there, you can follow all of our social media information under the Who Loves Comics tab. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook page. Please like us there. Facebook.com slash they like comics. Um, if you love comics. They love comics. Yeah, they love comics. They as we. You like and, the page, yeah, but they love, love the comics. Them. And while you're on our website, why not check out some of our back issues, uh, especially some of our chat issues. We've had a lot of really fun stuff, such as recently we spoke to Megan O'Keefe and Rebecca Eisenberg about uh, female Internet. fandom on Tumblr. And uh, you could also check out one of our chat episodes, like the episode where we talked to Kelly Sue DeConnick on pretty much anything Everything. at all. Yeah. <laughs> and her origins as a writer. Uh, and did improviser you know, in the 90s. Did you know that she was a comedian in New York City in the 90s? And yeah. she was also on a comedy team with Dave Holmes from MTV. Yeah. Go back, Crazy. dive in, and find that info out. Uh, until next time, this is Matt. And this is Brett. And I'm Ben. And <laughs> it turns out all three of us love, love comics. comics. We'll see you next week, guys. 